So when you say you talk to the state representative, you're talking about the ICMA, the, the mothership. The ICMA yes. knows about your case. Obviously, they should have known anyway because it's you know it, it's their job to know. But it ain't like nobody clued them in, right? You talk to the state rep, the person who represents the state of Florida for the organization, yes. and no assistance came. Nothing. Not even a, not even a, a response. Like I would have expected to say, look, this is one of those things that you know our executive board determined that we really don't want to get involved. We're sorry that you're going through it but we just can't take an official position. I would have I would have been upset with that, but at least it would have made sense that there would have at least been an acknowledgement of my outreach. But the fact that there was not even an acknowledgement tells me a lot more than than what you would have said if you had actually responded. All right, all right, all right. This is Joe Turner. I'm the host of City Manager Unfiltered, a podcast by a city manager for city managers and other public sector executives. And this is the third and final uh, podcast interview episode with Daniel Rosemond, author of Death of the Public Servant. He's the former city manager for Hallandale Beach, Florida, who was wrongfully terminated. And uh, he took them to court, won a massive settlement or a massive judgment. And he's in the process of of going through the appeal with that verdict uh, by the jury. And uh, during our pre-interview prep and during our, our actual interview episodes and meeting and reading the book, I just, you know, I just read about how there was numerous instances that I felt that you were betrayed um, by various parties or, or whatnot, Daniel. And I kind of want to talk about that. You know, I, I kind of feel like when I was reading your book and I'm going to put myself in this category too, that sometimes we as city managers, we betray ourselves. You know, we're sort of a victim of our own self delusion uh, of how we view our role in the organization and where we fit and our importance or our significance. And I kind of want to unpack that a little bit. There's also some segments in the book where you talk about uh, friends and and residents and other folks who just sort of uh, abandoned you and and weren't there for you in your time of need. At least that's how I interpret it. And I don't Mm -hmm. want to put words in your mouth. Uh, you have, you know, supporters on the governing body who will betray you. At least that's how I, I interpret some of the things that I've did in my post, uh, my research of your book outside of the, uh, of the situation. And then we also had a discussion in the pre-interview about professional associations and colleagues and how you have sort of been betrayed in that environment. So I want to talk about betrayal of the public servant, your betrayal, and I want to hear in your own words how you felt about some things. But before we get into that topic, I'd like to give you an opportunity to thank or acknowledge those who stood by your side, because that's the that's what's most important when right. you're in the trenches and you have the, your allies and your friends and your family who are supporting you through thick and thin. And so even though we're going to talk about betrayal and that's important, I wanted to give you an opportunity to acknowledge those who have stood by you, Daniel. Sure, man. And and thank you, Joe, again, for taking the time to really unpack a lot of the the themes and a lot of the things that I covered in the book. It's a very vulnerable uh, work, a very vulnerable project. So I I deal with a lot of different aspects of not only the profession, but what I went through. And to your point about the acknowledging, um, there have been a very small handful of people that have really been there and have really been engaged, not just, you know, hit or miss, but have been engaged throughout the time. Obviously, you know, my wife and daughters have walked it with me. When I say we, or this case against us, 
I'm referring to myself, my wife, Maria, and my daughters, Nicole and Alexis, because they have literally experienced every aspect of this with me, all of us in our own individual way, but as a collective family unit. But but beyond that, um, there have been a couple of people that have really been, you know, just solid, faithful friends. First person that I'll mention is Ron McKenzie. Ron is the IT director, information technologies director for uh, the city of Deerfield Beach. I call him my brother from another mother. Uh, we, we worked together many years ago, but Ron has been not just there in word, but has actually written me checks uh, from uh, time to time without solicitation. It's not like I call him, I say, hey man, I need some money. He'll just send me a check for a thousand dollars or send me a check for 500 bucks and say, hey man, I believe in you. I know that it's got to be hard. So I, I just wanted to, you know, hit you up with something that, that'll help you, you know, to get through. And that's been super, super encouraging, not just the words of, of confidence, but, you know, supported by, by that. He has done something that my own blood relatives have not done, to, to be quite candid. Another person who, you know, I talk about in the book, Renee, has been phenomenal from the standpoint of bringing me work. Um, so she has her own consulting firm. And throughout this six, seven year period on numerous occasions uh, where she has had an opportunity to bring me on as a partner in her whatever contract that she has to to perform any work relative to my expertise, she's been really, really cool about doing that. And that's really helped us to sustain over this long period of time where that work has really come in, you know, it's been manna from heaven, literally, to be able to get that kind of, not just the money, but the utility, you know, being, feeling useful, feeling engaged and doing something productive. And it really kind of takes your mind off of the matter at hand. So that's been a tremendous thing. A couple of other people that have just been phenomenal. Uh, I won't necessarily get into the names because they've had varying degrees of involvement. But I would say between my family, you know, Ron, uh, Renee, uh, they've been, I would say, really pillars in terms of just sustaining our uh, livelihood and, and our vocation efforts thus far. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, man, Ron sounds like a great guy, man. That's, uh, that's impressive. So. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a phenomenal guy. That's great. I want to have that nice little moment, Daniel, because now I want to drop the, <laughs> I want to drop the hammer the on hammer. some people. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I've, I've, I've walked, I haven't walked your path, but I've walked similar moments in time where I've, I've felt abandoned or betrayed by those who are close to me. And, and I'm not going to get into that for the sake of this podcast, because it's not about me. It's about you, but I can, I can relate and empathize with the idea of thinking that you thought this person to your right and this person to your left was going to be there through thick and thin. And when it, when it got thin, they weren't there. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so I want to talk a little about some of that stuff. But before we do, I kind of want to talk about self-delusion and betrayal in a respect. Maybe it's a, a, maybe it's a stretch to fit this into betrayal. But I, I identify with some of the passages in your book. And I really feel like, hey, if we're going to be honest, right, as city managers, as public sector executives, we need to be be self-aware and take accounting and inventory of our own strengths and weaknesses and where we're falling short and, and whatnot. And so you had some passages in your book that I really sort of identified with, and I wanted to expand on that if you don't mind. Uh, on page 160 of your book, you talk about how you poured your heart and soul into your job. You would work late hours, come in on the weekends, 
because you're committed to your job. You love serving your the people of Hallandale Beach. You were serving your governing body, right? And then uh, when I was reading your book, the passage in the book, it reminded me of something I have felt before. And honestly, I'm not sure if I should verbalize this out loud. Uh, maybe I'm committing suicide by doing this or professional suicide. It might sound crazy or delusional. But, you know, I've, I've too spent ungodly amount of hours working as a city manager for my community. I'd stay late. I'd work weekends. I'd work at home. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm driving home. I'm thinking about work. I'm in the shower. I'm thinking about work. And there are times where, you know, I would be getting beat up or criticized either by members of my governing body or by members in the, the community or a local business owner, whatever the case may be. And I'd wonder, man, do I care more about this community than the members of my own council or the people who live here? Because I'm putting my blood, sweat, and tears into this job. Like I'm bending over backwards to try to make things work. And I felt like, man, am I, do I care more about this, this place than other people? Like, have you ever experienced that feeling? Am I, am I, am I, am I alone on an Island? I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. No, Joe, you're not, you're not alone. I think when you are, when you're an all in type of person, as I think you are, I, I'm certainly that way. Uh, when you take on a a job, you do have a tendency of of really being all in. And there are times where your level of commitment is unmatched. And the frustration and also part of the betrayal or the self-delusion is you believe that that effort and commitment is going to be appreciated and right. reciprocated. Right. And that is delusional. Yeah. Because... Uh, sometimes what happens is the person who cares less <laughs> seems to be compensated and taken care of the most, as opposed to the person that who really, you know, really gives their heart and soul to a, pro- you know, a profession, a job, a community, et cetera. And so everyone is going to have to make that determination on their own. Everyone is going to have to, exp- you know, have that crossroads in their own vocational life to be able to say, okay, how am I going to approach the next one? How am I going to go? from you using my experience as a as a platform to determine how I approach the next one. I'm in no way advocating that we should be kind of at arm's length administrators, but I also would caution the listeners and the audience to be able to understand that, hey, when you're giving so much of yourself, be cognizant of the fact that you may be the only one who appreciates that because I think the delusion comes in in that we give so much assuming an expectation of, you know, that reciprocation is going to be yeah. appreciated. I'm going to be compensated for it. People are going to understand that I really give a lot, but that is oftentimes very few and far in between those yeah, types and, of and, situations. And you left, I, I felt hurt. It's like, I can't believe I'm committed. I'm doing all this. And it's just like, man, I'm, I feel hurt now that I'm not getting the, the recognition or the appreciation for it. And, I, and I'm not asking for a lot of appreciation. I'm just, you know, just don't beat me up all the time. <laughs> so well, you know, what, what, what you, what you realize is that you do have an expectation. I, I came to that realization because I used to think I'm doing this because that's who I am. That's the way that I work. But you, you know, in your heart of hearts, when you really strip away everything else, you do have an expectation that it's going to be appreciated and that you're not going to be mistreated. Because in my mind, the hurt with the city came in as like, man, all of those nights and weekends that I could have been at home with my family, with the people that really yes, matter, right. I was giving to them. And this is how they, this is how they repaid me. Right. It's like not just the termination, but it was like, you just, you poo-pooed on all of the, all of the times that I was there in the office where I was there at some 
community meeting where I was there at some event, something where I was giving more to that community and to that constituency than I was giving to the people that, you know, really are going to be the only ones that are at, at my funeral. Right. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's funny you say that Daniel, because on LinkedIn, there's a, there's a meme that circulates all the time about how, you know, the only people who are going to remember you worked late are basically your family because you mm-hmm. weren't there. Right. You Not the people there. that you're actually working for. Uh, it's the people that you were leaving behind because you're focused on this. And I don't know, I, I just know I struggle with that a little bit. And, you know, you kind of uh, a second ago, you just hinted at a second passage that I want to read. I'm going to read the shortened version of it. It says, uh, Later on page 174, you recount how you and your wife and your daughter ventured back into your office to clean it out. This was mm-hmm. after you had basically been terminated for cause on November 29th, but before the public hearing on December 28th. And you write, quote, I was not the first to occupy this space, nor would I be the last. My mistake in retrospect was that I had become too attached to something that was not mine. The organization was not mine. The office was not mine. I had simply become another former tenant. And I think I've come to the realization that many city managers, including myself, and based off this passage I just read, and I would include you too, is that we do betray ourselves with this yeah. whole mindset that this is ours or, and not that we own it per se in the terms of like that it's, you know, literally our office or our city, but we're so emotionally invested that we yeah. own it in that context. And I think it's like, I don't think we do a good job as city managers. I'm going to speak for myself and I think for you, just based off that passage, I don't think we do a good job as city managers setting boundaries between ourselves and our job. And I think this is something that we wrestle with. I think you're, and I think you're wrestling with this as a result of this whole ordeal, right? Yeah. You, you wrestle in my case, you wrestle, wrestle with it in retrospect because you beat yourself up over the many times that you were overbearing in your custodian, activities of you know the public good right you you are responsible for how the trash gets picked up or how the right. policing gets administered or how the the public works department does their job every aspect of city government as the city manager if you are a conscientious leader you are fully invested in making sure that that is done optimally and in the best interest of the public good. And so what tends to happen is that you do have this, it starts off with, okay, I'm, I'm taking this job. And all of a sudden you become misled into thinking that it's actually yours. Right. And, and, the, and the words that we use and the, the way that we carry out our work makes it seem and you believe that, hey, this is my city. These are, this is my budget. These are my, you know, my staff members. And all of a sudden you have this incorrect possessive perception of everything that you are overseeing as if it were really yours. And when something happens where you get mistreated or booted out or whatever, then that reality comes crashing in. It's like, wait a minute, it was never mine to begin with. I was simply responsible for it, but I was, it was never mine. And so I think that the takeaway is as managers, we have to make sure that we create healthy, appropriate boundaries in terms of how we carry out our work. And again, it's going to be different. It's difficult for everybody. It's different for everybody. And it's going to be difficult to do. That's what I was wrestling with when I was reading your book, because on one hand, you know, I read that passage about you cleaning out your office and really what it hits down to is like, hey, we're all disposable and we're all replaceable, right? Mm-hmm. None of us are irreplaceable, but yet we are driven individuals. We are, you know, a lot of us are alpha personalities. We're, we're high achievers. And so we have this, you know, go, 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 give a hundred percent, whatever, right? 
So I think the thing that I, I really want to work on is try to analyze myself. And I would, I would, I would encourage other city managers who are listening to this podcast is how do you identify what giving a hundred percent is and what's a fair representation of giving a hundred percent to the job, but while also keeping a healthy boundary with respect to how your, your frame of mind with respect to your approach and how you balance that. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. that's something that, that's something that I did a lot of, I, I've started doing a lot of introspection as a result of reading your book. And I just felt that that passage was pretty important. And that's kind of why I want to get this whole conversation of like betrayal and, and start with us as individuals. Cause I think we betray ourselves by having these delusional perceptions of what we are in the organization. But it's also, it's also the culture within that organization, right? Cause in my particular case, the environment, the expectation of that environment was that I had to be that person. You had to be there at every single meeting. You had to be there at every, every time a commissioner called you or texted you, even if you were having dinner with your family or at a ball game, whatever the case may be, you had to be available. In my mind, I'm thinking this is what it takes for me to be an exceptional leader. And I didn't create those healthy boundaries to say, hey, listen, after six o'clock, you know, yeah. it's family time. Unless it's an emergency, unless somebody got shot or somebody died, don't bother me. Right. And so you have to create that boundary, but it's also difficult when you're still trying to prove yourself because you're, well, you're in your first, and let's, let's not forget you were in your first gig, Daniel. Exactly. I mean, you, so exactly. it's like, you know, in your first gig, there's a lot of, you know, Hey, I know I got to bring it. I got to, I got to perform. I want to perform. There's self pressure. There's, yeah. there's literal pressure. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. So yep. I thought that was a really interesting a couple of sections in your book. And I wanted to, I wanted to chew in that a little bit more. I'm going to go on to the friends and, and sort of residents and that whole deal, because it's, it's an extension of just that conversation we just had, right? Man, I've gone to bat for so many, so many stakeholders, so many residents or whatnot in my experience, my short experiences so far. And I haven't had all bad experiences. I've had some really good experiences, but it is amazing to me how, you know, when they want you or they need you uh, and you've been over backwards to help them out. But then when you go to for a simple ask or a simple request on your end, it's crickets or it's yep. like, you know, they, they say they're going to get to it, but they don't get to it or whatever the case may be. Yep. And you had a, um, a, a situation in your book. You Let's go back to the December 28th hearing, OK, because this is a pivotal this is a pivotal date in, in your life story, Daniel. This is December 28th. It's the hearing for your termination. This is where you get a chance to defend yourself against the ridiculous accusations that are levied against you. And you knew you were on the chopping block. Anybody with an IQ north of two in Hallandale Beach or Broward County knew that you were on the chopping block, right? And that you're most likely going to get whacked out at this hearing. And on pages 212 to 214 of your book, you recount how you sent out a plea to friends you had in various group text chats. You asked them to come to your hearing and speak during the public comment period in your defense. However, only a handful of people showed up and made public remarks into the record. And on page 213, you write, quote, I looked back at my phone to count all the folks I had asked for help in my time of greatest need. I was beyond disappointed. I was numb and in disbelief, end quote. Mm -hmm. And then two pages before that, on page 211, you write in general that I used to believe that I didn't have any expectations this was my way of guarding my feelings from getting hurt or disappointed. I was apparently lying to myself. Mm -hmm. In the months after being terminated, less than a handful of friends reached out to find out how I was doing. Can you expand on what you were feeling when you're going through those two sort of experiences and emotions? Yeah, um, not a road that I like to traverse often because it's, it's still very 
painful. Going back to the December 28th hearing, there was one couple that I, I didn't mention at the beginning of the this episode, but Bob and Pam Sands. Uh, Pam was a former student of mine when I was a professor at, at Trinity International University. Her and her husband, I had known the least amount of time from the people that I had uh, reached out to, and they were the only ones that actually were there in person that spoke on the mic, who spoke as to my character. They're not residents of the city. They were residents of Cooper City, but familiar with the inner workings of local government. And they took the time and they also, you know, put themselves out there by, you know, speaking about the type of man that I was. And so it was really, it's, it's a real difficult thing, if I can articulate it this way. On the one hand, you feel like embarrassed that you're having to ask people to come to speak on your behalf. And at the same time, you feel emboldened that you want to ask them and you're expecting, hey, I got a lot of network. I've got, I know a lot of people. So <laughs> I should well, be able and, to fill them. Well, and if I don't, pardon me for interjecting, Daniel, but also if I may be so bold because I've been in similar situations, I feel like, why the hell do I even need to ask you? Why aren't you coming in and clamoring to beat down the door to help me? Uh, why, aren't exactly. you, why aren't you having my back? Exactly. You know? The fact yeah. that you even have to ask is almost like it's it's an embarrassing thing. You feel like, right. okay, I, I got my hat in my hand. I need to feed my family. Can you drop you know two quarters in this so I can at least buy right. you know something? And and so, yeah, you, you have all of this, this conflict of emotions internally, but I did it because it was one of those things that my attorney says, hey, you know, it might, it might go well if we can have uh, some people there speaking about your character and your background, et cetera. So from the standpoint of that event, uh, that date, December 28th, but then subsequent to that, the disappointment was, you know, people wouldn't, you know, they would just stay away from you. You know, it was almost like this, this real eerie silence because you wanted, and you knew that the word had circulated, you know, kind of how things. It's like, it's like you're a leper and you know, you're tainted, right? Yeah. It's like, and, and, and what was funny and an almost hurtful kind of way, you'd go to the grocery store and you'd see people that you knew from some situation and you could tell that they had seen you, but then they, they look down like they don't want to make eye contact. Oh, yep. I forgot. I forgot bananas. Let me go back to produce. Right. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. It's like, dude, I know you saw me, you know, yeah. it's like, I, I know that we saw each other and I know that you knew that I was coming down your aisle, but all of a sudden you don't, don't want to engage. And it was that type of thing. When I just, after a couple of times that that happened, I just told my wife, I'm like, I'm not going out anymore. It's like, I don't want to run into anybody. And if any, and if I do run into somebody, I could tell that it was a disingenuous, Hey, how you doing? It's like, you really don't want to know. Cause if you really yeah. wanted to know, you would have, you would have reached out. It wouldn't have been right. a, I, we happen to run into each other and you couldn't get away. So now you're feeling like you have to ask me, how's everything, you know? It's yeah. I think a lot, I think, I think a lot of that is guilt, right? Because I think yeah. people know that they, they intrinsically know that they left you behind on the battlefield, right? Yeah. In biggest time of need, but they don't want to confront that, right? Because right. if they have to have if they have to have this interaction with you, it basically exposes that they weren't there. Because because if they were there, they wouldn't need to ask you for an update, brother. You know yeah. I mean? <laughs> or ask and, you how you're doing. They would know. And, and you know what? The the thing the thing that has struck me the most interestingly has been the fact that how few people and I can't even think of anyone that has asked me, hey, is there any truth to any of the things that you were accused of? So it's almost like by not asking me, I'm going to I'm going to assume that you believe the headline to a certain degree 
because I would have almost expected you to say, hey, man, is this true? Because I can't believe it, but I need to hear from you. I need you to tell me that the things that you're being accused of are absolutely not true. And that didn't happen. And that was almost as hurtful as, you know, not being asked at all or not having anybody reach out. And in fact, after the book, after, you know, kind of putting my feelings out there, a couple of people uh, reached out. Actually, an old boss of mine emailed me and said, hey, I read the book. Is that the dude with the dog? No. Is that the dude with the dog story? Oh, okay. Because I was going to ask you about him. Because No. no. It my, one of my old, old bosses, um, a lady by the name of Karen Wilson, she emailed me and she's like, you know, I'm really sorry because I had heard about it. I had read the thing. She lives in, in Jacksonville, her and her husband. And she never reached out at the time. So to your point, Joe, about individuals confronting their own shortcomings with regard to leaving somebody out on the battlefield, she reached out and said, you know, that she was sorry. Her and there were a couple of people that also uh, expressed the same sentiment. And I didn't write it as a way to get evoke that type of emotion or response. Right. I wrote it really because I just needed to express what I was feeling internally. It was more... And under- Understandably so. for me, yeah. Yeah, understandably so. You know, I was, I was the, the moment ago, I was referring to the, your former boss that uh, he said, if you want to have a friend in this business, you need to get a dog, right? <laughs> that's, that's what I was, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. thought maybe he was reaching out to you, uh, no. but maybe he was playing with his dog. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know but you know, there's, he... a, there's, a, there's a couple other things about the, this whole situation too that troubled me greatly and kind of I've said before in, in both of the episodes that I had one of these wave of emotions that went through me when I was reading your book. And man, I got so angry and frustrated because I've been through this, I've experienced this sort of betrayal. But you know, you talked about on page 218, you said, quote, I figured that securing six to 10 small special project contracts from other mm-hmm. city managers would be relatively easy, right? right? This idea that, you know, you had built up this goodwill, this reservoir of goodwill with your peers, that they knew that you were in trouble, that surely they wouldn't believe all the headlines because they're in the business and they understand how the political games can play. And you're thinking, oh, I can get, you know, six or 10 gigs here, right. you know, enough to feed my family to get by and just hold me over, right? Exactly. But that didn't happen. No. Why, why, do you think that, why do you think that is? Like, what do you chalk that up to? You know, I think I chalk it up to the fact that when you are damaged goods, people, people keep their distance. While they, on the one hand, they say, you know, I don't believe what, what you're being accused of, but I still don't want to be seen with you. I still don't want to affiliate with you. I still don't want to bring you on and have you take on this, this, you know, this contract because I may have to answer questions about your integrity and about your guilt or innocence, it's almost like in in the previous episode where we talked about in terms of the attorneys, other city managers don't want to put their own livelihood at risk by bringing in somebody else who's been accused of wrongdoing, even though there's been no evidence. It's like we we live in a country that you're innocent until proven guilty. Supposedly. But in the court court of public opinion, you're, you're guilty. And even after you prove your innocence, people have moved on. So nobody is really thinking about what actually transpired in in the actual court. So it was a really harsh reality. And one of the things that flooded my memory was all of those, you know, local and state association meetings, you build up this network, you have people that you know, you know, you network, ostensibly you network for almost not, not for this exact situation, but you network to have that support system that's going to be with you in in a time of need, right? Time of need. Yeah. And, and yet, it's not there. 
Well, listen, I, I, I called, I texted, I emailed. And, you know, when you when you get the, the term that the kids use these days is you get ghosted, right? Nobody, right. <laughs> it's like people were not responding. And you could tell on a text message, the, the little... Uh, it's red. <laughs> it's red, but it's like, okay, dude, I just texted you and I'm waiting for you to hit me back and you don't hear back. And yeah. so you reach again, you, you hate to have to be that, you know, that beggar asking or knocking on the door and your pride is already taking a hit, but you like, listen, I got to put food on the table. So you reach back out yeah. and you don't get a response. And if you have that happen to you enough times, you become completely jaded and cynical. And then it, it then you become kind of like, okay, I don't want to talk to anybody. Right. Everybody's, you know, everybody kind of abandoned me. So now outside of that small handful of people, it's like, okay, everybody else is, is on the outs with me because I remember many, in many cases, helping a lot of folks, giving those contracts. It's like, Hey, we got to help this guy out. He's in between jobs. Let's, let's hook him up with, you know, a small contract or whatever. And it was a really frustrating thing because you're, you're having to, to battle the memory of all of the things that you did for others thinking that you didn't have any expectation. And now when you're brought into this situation, you're like really pissed that these people are not even returning a text. It's like, listen, yeah. at least respond, at least tell me, yep. look, man, I wish I could help you, but I can't. But the fact that you didn't respond is, is really, really angering. And yeah, I'm sorry I, for getting so no uh, emotional about it, but it's, it's one of those things that I think in our, in our profession, in this profession, it's one of those misnomers. You go to all these, meetings, all these conferences, thinking that you're networking and building this network. And in many cases, man, it doesn't, at least in my case, in my case, it did not materialize to be what it's supposed to be. You know, I've talked about in my first episode, and I've talked about repeatedly in other episodes and on LinkedIn, that my desire is to create a stronger community for mm -hmm. city managers with, with what I'm doing with this podcast and LinkedIn and some other ideas that I have and, you know, create, create a stronger community, help with personal and professional advancement and also advocacy for city managers and public sector executives. And so that's why I really, your story resonates with me deeply because I do think that we need to be better as a profession in taking care of our own. And I have some ideas on that. I won't flesh that out here with this, uh, with this podcast. Um, I'm working on some stuff behind the scenes. But I really think that we need to be better about supporting our own. I haven't had any negative experience in this regard, but I can speak to what you just said a minute ago in a past life where, you know, people know I am not afraid to put my name on things that I say that are controversial. I'm not afraid to put my neck on the line. I take some very, uh, I don't want to say courageous stands because I don't want to be, you know, sound arrogant or anything like that. But I take unpopular positions and I've put myself out there in risky situations to help others. And it is, it's very sad and it's very frustrating and very demoralizing when you find yourself in a tough situation and you get ghosted or people just abandon you. Uh, I've even had even worse. I've even had people where people not, don't just ghost you. They become your enemy and sabotage you even more. It's, it's a, mm. uh, it's troubling, but I really think what we as a profession need to be better about taking care of our own comes to going through a situation like this. And, you know, I'll flesh it out at a later date, but I have a follow-up question on this and then we'll move on to the, um, another area. Did any outside of the Jacksonville couple or individual, did any of these individuals reach out to you after you won your court case or after the book was published? And then they're all, you know, they're sort of back in, Hey, how you doing old friend? Or did you get that, that whole deal or? Yeah. You know, there was, there was a little bit of that a year, almost a year to the date, I had a, a book signing in uh, in Pembroke Pines, Florida. And this was, again, 
and I want the listeners to understand this is counter to my personality because I'm not a real flashy marketing type of outreach person. I'm not somebody who's constantly putting content out there. That's just not me. You're no Joe Turner, right? (laughs) (laughs) You have, you have, I think you have content that is really about other people. So you're not putting yourself out there in a sense. Thank you. So, no, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. So for me, this self-promotion, that's why I didn't really do good as a real estate agent when we were living in California, because part of being a good real estate agent is that you're having to constantly market yourself. And I'm like, man, if people like the work that I do and they consider me a professional, they're going to find me. That's how I've, yep. I've fed my family for 30 years. So when I had to do this book signing, it was a recommendation of the publisher that she told me, look, this is part of how you get your, your project out there. And so during the promotion for the book signing event, a lot of that happened. A lot of people kind of came out of the woodwork and people that I had not seen in a long time. And, and yes, I was cordial. And in many cases, it was good to see people. It was for many of them, not everybody, but for many people, it's kind of this level of superficiality. Because it's like, okay, you're coming to this event because you want the IG picture up, but right. you really didn't ask and you really weren't engaged all the years prior to this thing. Like right. you want to be here for the highlight of this book signing event. The The content of what the book is about is very troubling and very difficult. It's a very difficult story to, to tell. And so it was kind of this really crazy type of emotional balance that you had to have in in one aspect you're yeah you're happy to see some people that you haven't seen in a while but in your mind as you're scanning the faces at the event you're thinking about hey i reached out to this person and they never called me or i texted that person and they never texted me back or this person and they never they never reached out but yet here they are yeah, like there's this weird dichotomy to it, right? Because on yeah. one hand, you're being validated, vindicated, and sort of shown like you're not a leper anymore, per se. Yeah. But there's an emptiness to it, right? There's yeah. a hollowness to it that, you know, it's never going to be the same. Like, I know, yeah. like, you know, when you've gone through something and you've been through something as traumatic as you've been through, it's like, I, you know who's there and who wasn't. And exactly. that's just, it, it, it's, a, it's a line of demarcation that you're never going back and forth on. Like, right? You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, you, it's... That's my my deepest, darkest time in need. We've even had some people that we considered friends who we thought were going to be there. And one, a couple of people in particular who said, oh, I'll be there. And they weren't there in court. They weren't there as everything was happening. It was nine days of trial. And and we've learned, my wife and I have learned to just really, and when I said in a previous episode that we've had to just lean in on our faith, that wasn't for dramatic effect. That is, that is where we have lived for the past seven years, because in many cases we have learned that the relationships that we thought were dependable have proven to be less than dependable. And so we have chosen to say, okay, yeah, we'll still be cordial. We'll still be friendly. We'll still try to be there for other people because that's how we are. But we've also learned the sting of that betrayal, which is what I I think I call it that in the book, the sting of betrayal of having this expectation of people to be in your corner and then they're they're just not there. Or at least they're not there the way that you feel like you need them to be there. Maybe they think that they were there, but it's not it's not exactly what you needed. So so, Daniel, I hope I don't embarrass you by doing this because we didn't talk about this and I, 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 I might be putting you on the spot in an uncomfortable place. But, you know, 
I would, I would like to talk to the listeners right now and say, Hey, you've listened. This is the third episode. You know, that Daniel's gone through a really tough spot. You know, that even though he has won his court case, he has not received a penny yet. We still have a, a uncertainty related to that. And I would say that if you are a city manager and you're looking for some assistance with some side projects and special projects, reach out and give Daniel a call or an email and drop him a line. Give him some help, man. Help him out. And Daniel, what has been your area of specialty that you you know bring some subject matter expertise that you think you can might help some other city managers? And I hope, I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, Daniel, but I think no, we man. need to help our own, man. We need to help you, our own and you deserve and, the help. And I appreciate that. We have pivoted. I pivoted, as I mentioned in a previous episode in 2018, I started my nonprofit organization, East to West Development Corporation. And we are an organization with a mission to uh, address the affordable housing crisis in our country. And so that's my specific area of, of expertise. Uh, we are a 501c3 organization. So if there's land that you have a property that your city owns and you're looking to develop affordable housing, that has been for 20 years of my 30 plus years of public sector experience has been in that space. So I feel like I add value to that. And so if, if any of the listeners have a project in that arena, whether it's affordable housing consulting or affordable housing development specifically, I would welcome the, uh, the opportunity to partner with public organizations to be able to, to bring that to fruition. East to West Development Corporation or etwdc.org. Awesome. Thank you, Daniel. And I'm, I'm sorry, I, like I said, I, I didn't run that by you, but I just, you know, no, man, that's perfectly need, cool. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we need to hold, we need to help each other out. And I just hope that other city managers will at least reach out and, and see what you can, uh, what you can do and maybe offer you some, some work because man, this, this saga is not over for you. And, you know, I want to segue to the third component of this whole betrayal podcast, and that's the governing body. I rant a lot about, you know, residency requirements and things of this sort of nature. Like, you know, when you get hired, Every, every council member wants to say, oh, yeah, we're all on the same team. We're all one family here. We're all invested in each other and so forth and so on. But the reality is, is when things, when the uh, crap hits the fan, so to speak, you're on your own, right? Yeah. And you had an interesting situation here with uh, Mayor Joy Cooper. I did some research about your situation outside of your book and our conversations. And I was troubled by something I read. And I, I, you don't have to comment on it if you don't want to, because I haven't run this by you. But, you know, Joy... Cooper, she said that, you know, she supported you. She didn't vote for your termination. She was an advocate for you or whatnot. But I was reading an article about the appeal and I'm like, well, if you support Daniel and you're on his side and you know he was wronged, why are you supporting the city council's decision to appeal the verdict instead of just paying what is due and doing right by your former city manager? It is the honorable thing to do. And then moving on into a next chapter. Like, do you have any thoughts on that? Or I don't know if you want to comment on that or not, Daniel, but I was really annoyed when I saw that article and saw that she was a supporter, but then yet trying to make sure you don't get paid. Yeah, I was, uh, I was surprised and then later annoyed that, her remarks in that in that Sun Sentinel article were what they were because I, I really felt like there was an out for those that claimed to support me and this wrongful termination. And so not only was I surprised and then uh, upset about it, but knowing the current comp or the composition of the commission at the time that I think she had the votes because you didn't even have the same inclination by the elected body at the time. So there could have been a vote to say, look, we went to trial, the city lost, 
let's just be done with it. And as I said at the at, in the previous episode, the city is continuing to incur legal fees for both sides <laughs> to be able to, right. to defend this. And the chances of them winning in appeal are less than my chances of upholding the jury's award. Right. Um, it's still an uncertainty, but in terms of the odds, the odds are certainly in the favor of the plaintiff that won. So when you take the remarks of the mayor who claimed to have been a supporter and voted against my termination with cause, why would you now come back and say, you know, we're, we're going to appeal that? And I understand the fact that you have to represent the voters and the like public. the fiduciary responsibility, yeah, the fiduciary responsibility. But, but I think if you, if you put it in the right context, you can say, look, constituents tax cut your losses right Cut your losses yeah it's right we already lost and and unless you're listening to you know your defense counsel who we've already established who's winning who's winning who's who's getting paid at at your you know they're losing in court but winning at the in the checking account that's for sure they don't necessarily have a vested interest in terms of the outcome they're just wanting to to have billable hours that's that's really their outcome that's their end game I so mean, when I was, a jury, when really a jury comes back, yeah, when a jury comes back in an hour and says, no, you lost and we're going to give uh, Daniel $4.4 million, you know, I mean, that's, uh, I don't know. It really, it's really frustrating um, because it seemed like you guys had a closer relationship than that a little bit. I know you talked about how in the previous episode, she was like, hey, Daniel, if we, if we bring you aboard, are you committed to being here long term? And you're like, yeah, absolutely. And so it just seemed like, I don't know, just another another act of betrayal in this whole process in this life of Daniel Rosemann. Yeah, you know, I think what, what, what you learn in that is just because somebody says something, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they're going to do. It's just lip service. You know, at the end of the day, what really matters is what people do, not necessarily what people say. People can Absolutely. say whatever, but, you know, you want to be able to see if they're going to put their feet to, you know, what, what they've committed to. And, and in this case, it doesn't appear that way. I'm kind of curious to a random question. Have you had any conversation with uh, any of the commissioners outside of a court environment setting since you were terminated? Like, did you talk to Joy after your your victory in court or anything like that? Or I, I haven't talked to her. And interestingly, um, Lynn Whitfield, the former city attorney, she and I have spoken a couple of times. And she asked me if, if the mayor had, had called me. And I said, no. And she's like, wow, I'm, I'm surprised. And I said, yeah, I'm, I am kind of surprised as well. I don't know if that's because she's been advised by her attorney not to, or if she has decided that it's not appropriate. Either way, I don't know. But it's one of those things where you come to terms with the fact that, you know, people are going to make decisions ultimately that benefit them as an individual, as opposed to, you know, being thoughtful and considerate for what the other person may be going through. I've had conversations with a um, a former commissioner, um, Commissioner Sanders, who's no longer on the commission, but he and I have spoken a couple of times since this whole ordeal uh, went to went to trial. I guess it gets back to our earlier conversation. Hey, don't delude yourself, right? As a city right. manager, you're on your own. It's a lonely business. Don't don't think that everyone's going to be in your corner. I, I hate to sound negative, negative and pessimistic, but we got to have we got to go in these situations with our eyes wide open and understand the lay of the land. And I you think, are you oh, are completely dispensable in in yeah. this situation. You know, it's really next. You know, like they'll move on from you uh, just as quick. Um, even though you have given blood, sweat, and tears, and and much of your the best part of you. The minute that something goes sideways, they will move on from you so quick that it's like, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it will boggle the mind. 
The, the fourth uh, area of betrayal I wanted to talk about, and this was sort of revealed to me in part through our pre-interview conversation where you said something to me that floored me. And, and I, I'm still reeling from it, honestly. And that is that in this appeals process, the Hallandale Beach, they're fighting the your case, right? They're, they're trying to overturn the judgment, right, mm-hmm. of the, the award. Uh, but Hallandale Beach has an interesting ally in this battle against you. And I wanted you to unpack that for us because this blew my mind. And this is something we have to expose and we have to share with the public. So can you walk us through what's going on with your appeal and Hallandale Beach and, and this whole situation? Yeah, the city's defense counsel, Chris Stearns, is someone who does a lot of work for the Florida League of Cities. We learned during the appeal process that the Florida League of Cities was going to come to the aid, we'll put it that way, of the city in their in their appeal. Now, mind you, the Florida League of Cities and the Florida City and County Managers Association are very closely linked. And you not know, just clo- not just closely linked, right, Daniel? Because I did some research on this. I wanted to confirm because I asked you if they were linked, and you said yes. They share the same phone number, the same address, uh, and that's not uncommon. Yeah, that's yeah. The administration I, I, is pretty I, much shared. Yeah, and I, that's not uncommon in many states throughout the country where the league and the and the city manager association are that connected. Right. And this is a this is concerning to me because as you're gonna say as you're gonna as you're gonna share the Florida League of Cities filed an amicus curiae brief in defense of Hallandale Beach uh, and against you. Right. Their okay. their brief or their motion was to support the appeal by the city. In other words, what the League of Cities is saying is Roseman's award is potentially going to be detrimental to all of the municipalities in the state of Florida because it will set a precedent that will be a financial or fiscal impact to the cities. Now, mind you, what the league and the FCCMA is charged with, for the most part, is good governance. They have not, in any sense, in any place, reached out to the city to say, you know, your elected officials failed by violating its own policies, by doing things that were outside of the charter, by creating rules on the fly. But instead of them addressing the poor performance or poor actions of the elected body, they have chosen to take a position of supporting the appeal just to preserve the city's financial interest which I think is so absurd and insulting that it's like you just have to shake your head and say, well, what, what in the world is going on that this organization would you know, take this position? I have a couple of passages I want to read from their brief, okay? Because I have the document in hand. And on page one of the brief, it reads that the Florida League of Cities is a voluntary organization whose membership consists of more than 400 cities, towns, and villages throughout the state of Florida. And it says it represents the interests of Florida's municipal governments and promotes self-governance. It then goes on to read on the next page, it says that the league agrees with the city in respect to appealing your case. And they basically say that the 
the, if you were to win, Daniel, that it could expose municipalities and government entities throughout Florida to increase liability relating to whistleblower actions. Mm. Uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it's it's almost not almost it's counterintuitive because inherently a whistleblower is somebody who uncovers something that is being done incorrectly or outside right. of the, the outside wrongdoing of the law. wrongdoing right so you yes. want you know whistleblower has this connotation of somebody who wants to be a troublemaker but in, in its truest definition it's like hey something is wrong so there, there is something that could derail this organization so i need to literally blow the whistle so that it's highlighted so that we stop what we're doing and we can correct that wrong behavior right and so by by the league taking that position they're saying the whistleblower activity is going to is going to or it's detrimental. It's detrimental because it's like okay, we're we're because it could cost money. People, it's all about we're money. Gonna we're going to encourage people to do that more. It's like, well, yeah, you should encourage people to do that more because if there's a legitimate claim to the whistleblower's allegations, you want that person to speak up. That is what good governance is all about. Yes, I mean that's the whole point. It, it just boggles my mind that the Florida League of Cities would come in. And support Hallandale Beach with such an egregious act because the whole idea is that it's about dollars and cents. Yeah. The reality is, is that if you have whistleblowers who are not going to come out and publicly blow the whistle on bad things that are occurring in government, it's going to cost the taxpayers even more with mm-hmm. uh, with egregious lawsuits or fraud or waste or whatever the case may be. How is it that the Florida League of Cities can line itself up against the city manager who's a whistleblower? victorious in court by a jury and a jury of out- a, a jury of taxpaying citizens so the very yes. citizens that the league is claiming to represent were the ones who heard all of the the evidence in court heard all of the testimony and now all of a sudden you're coming out against them that it's, is that is it boggles the mind it does boggle the mind and it's just like if we want good governance, which is what the League of Cities should advocate for always, then you want to encourage whistleblowers. And the whole idea of a, a financial punishment is to discourage other cities from engaging in activity that would be deemed bad. I mean, I don't like what do we I can't even wrap my head around this whole thing. Right. So, Daniel, we're talking about the Florida League of Cities. But to me. I'm more concerned about the conflict of interest between the Florida League of Cities and having FCCMA staff and where do those allegiances lie, right? The FCCA, FCCMA is a state chapter of the ICMA. And I don't know if the ICMA was ever clued into this whole thing or brought into the mix or not, but am I the only one listening to this podcast that's troubled by the idea that you have state manager associations tied at the hip of the league of cities in many cases. And then yet the league of cities is going to take an aggressive anti-city manager stand and no one's going to say anything about it. Well, it's not, it goes further because I actually reached out to the FCCMA president at the time that we learned that the F the Florida league of cities was going to file this um, amicus brief. And I wanted to have a conversation and I wanted to, essentially put them on the spot to say, look, if you are the Florida City and County Managers Association, that there is a an individual who was one of your own, paid their dues, attended meetings, I was on their, their board, and I thought, 
erroneously, this is talking about the betrayal, that there would be some sort of a rallying to say, look, we can't allow this to happen. There must right. have been some misconception. Somebody screwed the pooch on this one. It's like, okay, we, we missed it. So right. I reached out again, much like trying to get those contracts. I reached out multiple times to have a conversation to try to get support. Who, who did Ghosted. you reach out to, if you don't mind my asking? Um, uh, Lori, I forget her last name. She was the president of of the FCCMA last year. I think there's a different president now, but I forget. Oh, so her she's last so, name. so you're talking about a city or county manager? Most yeah, likely, yeah. Right? She's, okay, she's, she's one of your peers, a, right. a deputy city manager at the time. Oh, deputy. And, and, okay. And so right. she, but she was the president of FCCMA at the time that right. I reached out. I also reached out to the Florida representative of ICMA, a gentleman by the name of George Gonzalez. Same thing, wanting to get his support, no, no follow-up, no reaction to my outreach. And it's almost like they, they, and I know that people know about the case and I believe, and I don't know this for a fact, but I believe that there's kind of this underground kind of hush money. We don't, we don't want you to talk about it. We don't want you to get involved because it's, it's not a good look for those organizations that are organized to a ensure good governance, but also advocate and, and protect the people in the in the profession. So when you say you talk to the state representative, you're talking about the ICMA, the, the mothership. The ICMA yes. knows about your case. Obviously, they should have known anyway because it's, you know, it, it's their job to know. But it ain't like nobody clued them in, right? You talk to the state rep, the person who represents the state of Florida for the organization, yes. and no assistance came. Nothing. Not even a, not even a, a response. Like I would have expected to say, look, this is one of those things that, you know, our executive board determined that we really don't want to get involved. We're sorry that you're going through it, but we just can't take an official position. I would have I would have been upset with that, but at least it would have made sense that there would have at least been an acknowledgement of my outreach. But the fact that there was not even an acknowledgement tells me a lot more than than what you would have said if you had actually responded. Oh, Daniel, man, like I, I don't even know what to even go where to go with this because you know I have a you know I have some aggravations and some frustrations with the ICMA, and I've talked about this time and time again. The ICMA does not care about you as the as a person, a city manager. They do not care about uh, they do not care about you. I'm I'm not gonna say us because I'm not a member and I've never been represented by the ICMA. I've never been a member of the ICMA, but I've seen what they've done to James Freed in Port Huron. I don't want to get into that case and whatnot, but. I've heard from other city managers who've gone through situations. The ICMA does not care about the city manager. And this is shocking to me. This is shocking to me that a city manager who goes through a wrongful termination case goes all the way to court and has a trial and is vindicated at trial with a jury awarded victory, multiple Mm -hmm. millions of dollars. And then it just stands there and does nothing. It does not, I don't know if it even does nothing is the right word. It's almost still complicit. I don't even know what the involvement was with respect to helping the league or what. How, do, how does this happen? How do, I'm so pissed off right now. How the hell does this happen where a city manager association and a state association have conflicting should have conflicting purposes or agendas in this case and one's quiet and the other basically goes to the defense and aid of the city? I don't yeah. get it. Well, I mean, it's it's when people have asked me why, where the title of the book comes from, right? It's not only metaphorical, but then you also factor in all of the things that we've talked about in, in these episodes, um, Joe. And so you realize that these things that you are 
led to believe as a young administrator, you know, you're going to these events and these networking sessions and you're going through all of the trainings and everything that's offered because you believe that this is the path to where you want to go vocationally. So you're doing everything right. And I'm, and I'm speaking to those that are in the business who are just starting off at varying levels of, of their experience. You're doing all of these things. You're trusting the process, right? To, to, to use a uh, Joel Embiid term, you're trusting the process to get to where you want to get to only to find out that it was all the process is smoke, corrupt. <laughs> smoke and mirrors. It's like, I mean, this is not what it was supposed to be. And and to your point, I think I applaud what you're doing in, in these podcasts because you're speaking out in a way that many people have experienced and then they just have to go off kind of in the distance and never to be heard or seen again. And it's unfortunate that so many people in this profession are just chewed up and spit out. And, and they don't ever have a, an advocacy. They don't ever have a platform to be able to say, man, I gave of myself. I, I volunteered on, on with these organizations and they were not there for me in, in my moment of need. And in my particular case, because of what I've been through in terms of an actual court, right, with a jury of taxpaying citizens, who have no political affiliations, who heard all of the evidence, who came back with an award to then have these associations that are organized for that purpose to not be in your corner is, I don't even think not even not even is, not, is not, right not even not be in your corner, but to be proactively adversarial, Against, antagonistic, yeah. an enemy. I mean, the Florida League of Cities is your enemy right now. Yeah. Am, I, am, I, am, I put, am I putting words in your mouth, Daniel? No, I don't want to. No. Okay. No, that's they absolutely right. They filed a brief against you to take money off of your plate, to take money away from your family that you rightfully earned by going through the legal process. I feel that this this is such an egregious betrayal and I'm so freaking pissed off about it. And I, I'm, I'm going to try to tone myself down here a little bit for a second. I will say this, Daniel. I know that I have people listening to this podcast who do not agree with me, who think that maybe I'm a loud mouth or I'm wrong about the ICMA and what have you. Okay. And I'm going to talk to those people here for a quick second. You could say, hey, Joe has an axe to grind for whatever reason, if you want to believe it, that I've been on the James Freed situation with Port Huron. And ever since then, I've been basically, you know, ticky tack criticisms or unfair criticisms of the ICMA. I, I'm, I'm okay with all that. Okay. You can, you can have that belief, belief, that viewpoint you want. But listen to what Daniel is saying and tell me how this is not one of the most egregious betrayals of a city manager and the city management profession by a freaking organization that is designed ostensibly to advocate on behalf of the profession right and i and i make this thing is this i make the distinction between prof- advocating for the profession versus advocating for, for the professional right well let's not get it twisted here not only do i think the icma should be advocates for the professional which they're not okay but even if you want to say that their, their focus should be on advocacy for the profession, right? Advocates for the profession. How is it that standing by and allowing the FLC to put in an amicus brief on behalf of Hallandale Beach? And how is that advocating on behalf of the profession? Mm-hmm. It's not. Mm-hmm. And I'm so pissed off about it. Well, you know, it's so it's, pissed off. It's, it's, it's a rightful anger, Joe, and I share it with you. My, my wife and you would have a lot in common because she's equally angered at the fact that this this action by the FLC 
is is almost like you know kind of a David and Goliath again you know David and Goliath part two is like it was bad enough that I had to uh, sue the city for what they did to me but now they went and got more <laughs> advocates yeah. to come against me and and you would think that there would be now now it's like, David and Goliath plus his buddies plus his buddies right so, you know what so, I mean so now so now you would think that those things would be in place and and again this is this may sound like, you know, these individuals have an axe to grind or, or whatever, but I would say to those that are listening, just check out the facts. These are all public record documents. And you have to ask yourself the question, because as I said, the silence in, in my outreach, it wasn't like I didn't even try to reach out to those organizations. I absolutely tried to reach out to George Gonzalez and, and Lori Lavernier from FCCMA and George Gonzalez from ICMA to be able to say, hey, would you guys consider supporting our position, writing a similar brief on behalf of the plaintiff in this appeal process, and there was nothing. So you can believe whatever you want to believe, but you at least have to ask the question, why would they not do that? Right. So and we're not, and we're not, we're not even talking about you asking for help. And I'm sorry to get loud and I'm just I'm really worked up right now, Daniel, but we're not even talking about you. We're not talking about pre-trial during you know, oh, let it let it play out in court. There's two sides to every story. We're not even talking about that. We're talking about you went to court and won right. convincingly, and yet you have this shameful, disgusting betrayal. It's reprehensible this betrayal to one of our own city managers, ostensibly by organizations that should be advocating on behalf of the profession and the professional, in my opinion. I'm freaking pissed. I'm going to take it one step further, Joe. What What is the Florida League of Cities saying to those eight jurors that sat through a nine-day trial? What are they saying to them, those taxpaying citizens, right, that right. – their their opinion and their deliberation and their commitment to sit through that trial and and make a determination based upon the evidence right because they had no other information about my case this was all purely based upon the evidence what is the league of cities and the icma and the fccma saying to those citizens you're you're basically not just attacking me but you're saying hey what you guys did as a as a jury pool or as a jury doesn't matter because we know we absolutely, know <laughs> absolutely, you're right. And I'm gonna go even one step further because I know you just take this on the, the the logical continuum, right? What is the ICMA, the FCCMA, and the FLC telling to public sector executives throughout the country, and particularly in Florida, whether you're a city manager, an assistant city manager, or a department head? What is it suggesting to you, right? As far as what action you should take if you think that you're seeing wrongdoing in your organization, mm-hmm. that you're going to be abandoned. Yep. Yeah, keep quiet because you're going to be abandoned. And if you do even get a victory, we're going to come after you because heaven forbid you might cost the city some money. Right. right. I am. There needs to be a reckoning. There needs to be a reckoning. There needs to be. Um, <sighs> man, <laughs> I'm worked up right now. And uh, there's, I, I'm just going to leave it at that. There needs to be a reckoning. Okay. I'm shocked. <sighs> Let, I'm let me, shocked let me, by this. De- I'm shocked by this degree of betrayal because, to me, Daniel, this what you've experienced is even worse than what I would say that James Freed's gone through. Right? First of all, James Freed's situation. I've been the only person who's publicly spoken out about James Freed and his public censure and losing his credential. I, I think he's wronged. 
uh, he's going through the he's going through a similar process now. He's suing the ICMA for defamation, and we're going to let the facts play out. And I think he's going to be victory, victorious there, right? That is a, a completely separate and distinct animal from a situation where a city manager is wrongfully terminated by the governing body, betrayed, forced to lose his livelihood, put so much pressure on family, all this stuff. And then you win in court and the same organization says, no, we're against you. We're going to line up and we're going to line up our, for- we're going to line up our forces behind the league. Who's going to come after you and be your adversary. The right. ICMA is your adversary. Right. right. Ah, I just, and, and, and by abstention, yeah by by abstention yeah you know so so it's it's one of those things where you know and this is not two guys venting out of frustration as much as it is two guys standing on the mountaintop saying there has to be we have to look and pay attention to what is actually going on because for those that want to believe for those managers or public sector executives that are listening to this episode that want to believe, well, that's them. It could never happen to me. You're, you're wrong. Right. It, 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 it can happen to you. And it's a matter of time that it, it will happen maybe to varying degrees, but you will have that. And so when you don't get involved, when good people do nothing, you are essentially advocating for the wrong that happens in our society. And yeah, we can't correct the evils and the and the ills of, of society, but the things that we do control and the and the sphere of influence that we do have, we have a responsibility. Part of part of my motive to writing the book was also to talk about the things that you've been talking about in this podcast and the things that you've been talking about in your in your various posts. It's really to be able to say the things that others have felt, that have thought, but they won't say it. They won't say it publicly because of this fear of being ostracized, this fear of being like pushed out to the curve and not having an ability to maintain their livelihood. And so what what are we saying then about us as professionals, as leaders, if we can't speak up for what is right? Absolutely. You know, uh, man, uh, God, I'm so animated right now. I'm so worked up. Um, Daniel, I must try to tamp it down a little bit, but maybe I'm walking into another hornet's nest here. So <laughs> in Florida, you guys have a unique, I don't know how unique it is, but like in Kansas where I'm at, we have 2 million people in our entire state, roughly speaking. We have one state association, but in Florida, in my research, you guys have actually different regions where there's different like regional city manager associations or even at the county level, right? At the county level, yeah. What about, and you're in a large county, Broward County, I believe, right? Right. Or, okay. What about at your county level or your region? Did you have any support from your local chapter of your city manager association? Well, Talk about a hornet's nest. Yeah, so we actually reached out. We, being my attorney, Brian Lerner, and I, we actually went to the BCCMA, the Broward City and County Managers Association. When this whole brief came out, we had struck out with FCCMA. We struck out with ICMA. So our last last effort was, well, let's go to the local level and see if they would be willing to write a brief on our behalf. Long story short, there was nominal support at one of their meetings to advocate for me or to 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 provide a brief they didn't want to um all you're asking for is a brief that's all, all you're asking yeah, for is an amicus brief amicus brief basically saying you know we're we're supporting not even daniel but the profession of city managers for this idea of being able to to talk about what's wrong in in our organizations if that's the case so that you would be protected from being able to speak out 
because at every level of the public organization, you have unions that pretty much represent you, but the city manager right. is really out there on their own. They don't have any such union, any kind of advocacy. Which, which is why I've half jokingly talked about the International Brotherhood of City Managers yes. and past posts and yes. stuff like that. You yes. know, it's like we don't have anybody. ICMA is supposed to be that, in my opinion, that advocate, and Correct. here they're betraying it. They're betraying Correct. us. Correct. So the BCCMA, we went. The attorney representing the BCCMA immediately spoke out after we left, and I heard this from a, a former colleague. One of my associates on the BCCMA said, you know, this person spoke out and said, you know, I can't represent because it will be a conflict of interest to write the brief. So you're going to have to get outside uh, counsel to do it, and it's going to cost a lot of money, essentially discouraging the BCCMA from doing that. So we went and tried to get some quotes from attorneys that could write the brief. Long story short, when it was time for them to take the vote on doing it, they didn't have a quorum. Is this the vote on paying for the amicus uh, brief? Yeah, or? On, uh, okay. the, the vote on being able to to engage someone to do it. And and at the end of the day, it was going to be a cost to it. I think it was going to be about $15,000, something to that effect. But they didn't have a, a quorum. Now, the BCCMA... It's all city and county managers in Broward County, 31 municipalities. They did not okay. have a quorum. About how, about how many members would you say are in this organization? Matt, I don't even know what the membership is, but it's at least... Uh, at least 100, right? At least 100 people that, that you know, not 100 come out to the, the regular of course. bi-monthly yeah. meetings, but at least 100 people. Yeah. And I do know that there was an email that was circulated encouraging participation at the upcoming meeting when the vote was going to be taken about this support, the brief supporting my motion in the appellate uh, process, and they didn't have a quorum. And when I asked about how many times before had the BCCMA not had a quorum, um, I didn't really get an answer in terms of that. They just said, it, you know, that person couldn't remember a time. The last time there was or not, right? There was no quorum. So, You again, but myster- mysteriously though, in your situation, there's no quorum. <laughs> there's no quorum, so they couldn't take an action. So, the the couple of people that were part of the BCCMA that were in my corner wanting to support it, they were like, "Well, this is what we, what we can do." And I said, "You know what, guys, just drop it because at this point, it's clear to me that this this is beyond human effort. We're just going to have to leave it in God's hands and and let things play out the way that they need to play out." But it doesn't take away the frustration of the lack of support, that network that we assumed was going to be there to help us. And to your point about this this episode, the betrayal at, at yet another level, not being there. And, and people, you know, need to hear about it, not for them to be put on a guilt trip, but for them to wake up and pay attention to the fact that this stuff actually happens and it happens to one of their own and it can happen to them uh, uh i'm gonna t- i'm gonna say this right now there's gonna be consequences for this betrayal i'm telling you that right now i'm putting my name on it daniel and i'm telling you right now there will be consequences for this betrayal I, this is something that cannot be tolerated it cannot be allowed to stand there has to be an accountability of this and i'm disgusted and pissed off i'll just leave it at that i'm disgusted and pissed off and um I don't want to say anything else that's going to be um, that I'm going to have to edit out anyway. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so uh, uh, I will tell you right now, there's, there's got to be a reckoning. There's going to be a reckoning. I'm curious, you know, 
I was doing some research about your situation and trying to like, you know, do some background checks, not background checks on you in that context, but trying to get some background information on your story. So I was trying to figure out if you're on any other podcast or whatnot. You were on the FCCMA podcast. I don't know when that occurred. I forget the date of that one. And you were also invited, I guess, to an FCCMA state conference to speak about your situation. Outside of those two, I guess, invites or situations, have you ever been on like the have you ever been invited on the ICMA Voices in Local Government podcast or the ELGL podcast or any other ICMA conference or uh, Austin's coming up? Have you been reached? Has anyone reached out and contacted you at all from ICMA or ELGL or anything? No, man. As a matter of fact, I reached out to um, a gentleman from ICMA because I was actually trying to get the book to be part of the, the library that ICMA has. Oh, you, you just got ahead of me. I got another question on that, but okay, you go ahead. All yeah, right. So I reached out and I've reached out like, Four, three or four times, um, Tad um, Guilford, I believe the gentleman's last name, the person that's in charge of, you know, the curriculum that would be yeah. included in their in their. Because I noticed your book library. wasn't in there. It wasn't, and I and no, they I, got and I, they got Cheryl Scully's book and they got Tim Casey's book, which is great. I'm not against that, but why the hell isn't Daniel Rosemont's book in there? I, I, I your your guess is as good as mine, and it's not for a lack of effort because I've been doing everything that I've that I've been able to do to promote it again at the, at the suggestion and recommendation of my publisher to, you know, to, to, to get your, your work out there in as many formats as possible and, and to as many audiences as you possibly can. And so there's been no response uh, from ICMA. Again, I know that the topic doesn't fall in line with their kind of obedience to being, you know, a good soldier, a good warrior type of thing. But this is, you know, what we talk about here and what we've talked about, what you talk about in your podcast is the reality of the profession. It's not butterflies and, and, and roses, but it's the reality. And so if, if an organization like ICMA chooses to avoid that type of topic of conversation, what are they really, what are they really saying? Because they're trying to create this facade that it's, it's a certain way when many of us know that it's exactly the opposite. I, I, I'm just floored. I'm just so floored. I don't understand how uh, one of our peers who's gone through such a crazy situation, such a, such a noteworthy, useful situation that is relevant to the profession. I don't understand how you've not been given a platform. I don't mm -hmm. understand, you know, um, you know, I was listening to your FCC May podcast, for example, and I, I'm, you know, it was fine as far as like once they actually got to the last half of the podcast about your book. I'm like, why the hell are we talking about affordable housing on an FCCMA podcast or anything like that? You're here to talk about a book called Death of the Public Servant, which talks about your situation of being wrongfully terminated. And yet you spend the first half hour of this damn podcast talking about affordable housing or some other crap. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not saying it's not important. But why are we not giving the manager a platform to talk about the reason why he's there, the book and the case and the situation? I'm just, I'm so completely incensed by what I'm hearing. And I'm just, I can't even think straight right now, to be honest. Daniel. I'm, just, I'm just pissed. Sometimes, Joe, what, what happens is that, you know, and you know this because some of your uh, followers on LinkedIn and, and some of the listeners to your podcast, you know, sometimes the truth is, it's an inconvenient one. Like people don't necessarily want to hear it because it makes them uncomfortable. It makes them question kind of their vocational choice or questions their involvement within their profession as a whole. And so whenever you have a topic or a theme that is counter to 
growth and professional development. Like if it's ugly, if it's got, you know, tentacles on it, people don't necessarily want to hear it and they don't want to talk about it. And so does that diminish the value of that topic or theme? I say no. It's just that it's not going to be embraced and it's not going to be welcome in many respects because it's it's an un, unpopular topic. So I will tell you, referencing the FCCMA podcast and in kudos to you, you not only read the book, you read the book twice, you took ferocious notes and you were asking me specific questions relative to the book. In that podcast, the host had not even read it. And I even asked that person, hey, make sure you read the book before because I want to talk about, you know, the themes and the elements in the book. And I wasn't going to miss the opportunity to talk about, you know, my nonprofit work because sure. obviously that that it's advantageous to me, but it was almost dismissive to the fact that if you're having me on your show to talk about a book that you didn't even take the time to read the book. That that kind of tells you something about the interest of the organization with the, you know, the, the topics that they cover. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just sitting here stunned, Daniel, and I'm pissed off. And uh, I, I'm going to, on behalf of my peers, I'm going to apologize to you for what it's worth. But I'm going to tell you right now that uh, that apology is going to be followed up with action. Okay. Because that's what I'm doing here. I've talked about uh, building a community uh, where we support each other. And this is, is not, should not be tolerated. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about uh, creating a, an, an advocacy, right? Doing a, aggressive advocacy on behalf of city managers. And um, I think some skulls need to get knocked. I, that's what I, that's what I think, you know, I'm pretty pissed off about this. Um, yeah. I think it's probably, I probably need to wrap up this episode here in a minute because I, I I'm just, I'm literally, I'm really, I'm really aggravated and I don't, I stepped on you. You were going to say something, Daniel. No, no. I, I, you know, I think part of the, my wife and I talk about this a lot, you know, part of the sting of, of the wrongdoing is in regard to when, when somebody has to pay, like it doesn't hurt somebody unless they have to go into their wallet, you know, to pay for something, you know, and, and in this particular case, the city of Hallandale beach has not yet had to go into their wallet. And, and I understand their strategy. They're trying to defer it. They're hoping that it will go away. They're hoping that I'm going to run out of time or money in terms of my legal defense, and then they will have to, they will be able to mitigate their exposure as a city. But I think the, the larger topic is that this is, this is the type of thing that happens when people are not held accountable for their actions. And, and to the extent that cities or organizations don't have to go in and write that big check, those, those behaviors are not going to change. That's why what FLC did is so insulting because yeah. they're, they're basically saying, well, we don't want to go in and write the check. So we're going to, we're going to take a position of uh, defending the city as opposed to defending the plaintiff who was, who was deemed in the, in his right based upon a jury of his peers. Um, there was an, uh, one final question about this. Then we can wrap it up, Daniel. There was an interesting uh, segment or section in your book where you talk about tenant seven of the ICMA code of ethics, right? And you took the position, I don't want to misquote you or anything like that, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines that the tenant seven of the code of ethics prohibits 
or impedes the city manager's ability to defend themselves in these situations when they're being attacked from the governing body or attacked publicly by, you know, union stakeholder groups or whatnot. And, you know, we usually talk about tenant seven in the context of, hey, don't put a yard sign in your yard, right? Or, mm-hmm. or don't endorse this candidate, right? But you had an interesting spin on tenant seven that I haven't really, really haven't seen any other person talk about, and even myself in, in, in previous discussions. Can you elaborate on tenant seven and your, and your feeling about what its impact is on you as a city manager when you're in these situations and whether or not you think it needs to be modified or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the issue, simply put, is when you are inhibited from being able to actively defend a wrongful accusation, you know, it, it, it is almost a relinquishing of your inherent rights as a human being, as a person in this country. So it's almost like you go into this profession and you have to, uh, surrender your rights at the door <laughs> and say, right. you know, all of a sudden now this could be your, you know, your future or your scenario, but you don't have a right to be able to advocate for yourself. And and it is something that really has to be revisited. So part of, part of what I tried to do in the book is to talk about the things that are systemic in the profession that really need to be revisited. I talk about it in the context of my story but the larger question and the larger discussion is, you know, this is not just about one individual. This is about a systemic set of issues and paradigms that we really need to look at collectively if we are to try to make things better for the people that we're serving. Because ultimately, this is about making sure that the public service to those taxpaying residents is at the optimal level. But you mean, you, these- mean you, you mean good governance? Good governance. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> MLC I mean, didn't get the memo. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't want to we don't want to take our eye off that ball. But that's ultimately the the objective, right? So if we don't create and if we don't make adjustments to the overall system, then it's only going to get worse, and you're going to have less people wanting to get in the profession, and those that are in the profession are not going to be all in, like we talked about earlier in this right. episode. Right. Hey, Daniel, you know, we've spent a lot of time together and I really appreciate your time and this book. I'm a big fan. I'm just very grateful to learn from your experience. And I'm hoping that the listeners to this podcast have derived value from your experience. And man, I just thank you so much. Uh, I can't imagine what it's like to go through everything you've been through and to keep this positive, upbeat attitude, to not feel like the whole world's out to get them, get beat down. I know you've had some, I know you must have had some dark days, right? And I'm not overlooking that at all. But man, you are an inspiration to go through what you've gone through, the level and depths and breadth of the betrayal you've had to endure. Man, I just thank you. You know, I just thank you very much, Daniel. Appreciate that, Joe, very much. And, and, And please extend my my gratitude and appreciation to your wife and your, and your daughters. I mean, I just think they're amazing women and I just, I'm your, your whole family story is inspirational and I'm just, you know, yeah, you went through a lot, but there really is a silver lining in your situation, right? It's brought you guys closer together. And, and that's one of the main takeaways I take from this experience is that, Hey, you've been beat down, you've been kicked, you've been knocked down, you've been bloodied, but man, you guys are stronger than ever. And I just think that's the most important message out of this entire series of podcast episodes that I want the audience to have. And if I could just end with this, Joe, and that is make sure that your listening audience, public sector executives are really investing with the people that matters most, right? Because we oftentimes give away the best of ourselves to the people that care the least about us. And the people that really love us, no matter what, are the ones that 
get the scraps. <laughs> and and You're right. if, I, if, if you if you don't hear me say anything else, man, take some self inventory and make sure that you are investing with the people that really matter the most. Because at the end of the day, that's that's all that's going to be there for you. Spot on, 100%. Hey, Daniel, thank you very much. I'm Joe Turner. This is City Manager Unfiltered, a podcast by a city manager for city managers and other public sector executives. Please hit that like and subscribe button, rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. And uh, thank you very much. Until next time.